why don't you do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We are going to open the word together and trust that God by his spirit would speak over us and help us. And so we're in Acts chapter 13 and I'm going to read verses 1 to 12 and then we'll pray and we'll get after it. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1, reads like this. Now, in the church at Antioch, by the way, there are a lot of tough names, and I'm going to fake my, fake my way right through it, okay? So now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. When Saul, who was also called Paul, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw all What had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray right now that by your spirit, you would use your word to inspire your people. We pray, God, that you would help us to live our lives in a way that is pleasing and honorable to you. And we pray all of this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so what we have here is we have kind of a case study of what it looks like to live on mission. From the very start of our campus, we realize that this is a feature that we want to lean into. We believe that every Christian has this high calling, that we, we receive this identity. When we place our faith in Christ, we receive our identity of being in him. But not only that, we believe that God co-ops people into what he's doing in the world. So once you're a Christian, you don't just sit by as a you know, casual observer, you actually become an active participant in the things of God. And so from day one, I remember we were, we were doing pre-launch meetings and we talked about how every member of our campus, one of our aspirations is every member of our campus considering themselves to be a minister, every member on mission. So we began talking about that. What would it look like if every single person who started coming to our campus and, and responded to the saving love of God in Christ Jesus, if they all recognized that God was going to use them to advance the kingdom in the world. 
I believe that that's who the people of God, God really are. That's our identity. That's who we get to be. And here we have then this case study of Paul and Barnabas starting into this new way of life, into this missionary calling. And so there are lessons that we can learn. In fact, I'm going to attempt to do seven different lessons of doing life on mission. Okay, so we'll see how much time we end up with, but seven lessons of doing life on mission. And hopefully all of this will connect with you and you will begin to kind of feel, this is, this is what it looks and feels like to be a believer. So lesson number one, mission is a calling. Doing life on mission is a calling. God speaks over us, not only in, in terms of our salvation, but also in terms of our new vocation. Once you're a believer, he speaks over us and he says, I'm setting you apart for my work. Now here we find this unique calling for Paul and Barnabas, but you find it here in verse two, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So they're, they're with the church, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. So they're being anointed in a sense for what God is, is asking them to do. He's saying, look, these individuals I'm going to use, set them apart for this work that I'm calling them to, this work for which they're, they're being called to. And, and so God is doing something here where he's speaking over them and he's saying, I'm going to use you guys in a profound way. And we want to maintain that, that there is a special calling for those who are being called to frontier missions, to cross-cultural missions. That's a unique thing. And so we need to be praying to that end. I pray um, that people from our campus would, would feel that call, that they would be willing to respond and say, look, I'll, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I'll go wherever God wants me to go. I'll learn a new language. I'll engage with a different culture. I'll go wherever it is that God might be sending me. And I've even prayed that way uh, ever since stepping into full-time ministry. I've always prayed, God, if there were somewhere else where I could serve you better, no matter how hard that may be, I'm willing. And God keeps, in my, in, in my case, keeps reaffirming, no, I want you here for these people, inspiring them to be on mission. But I pray to that end, that people would feel that tug of the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to go. I want you to be commissioned to go and do frontier cross-cultural missions. So that calling is special in that sense, that some people are called to mission work that's cross-cultural. But I believe that that calling is universal in the sense that every single believer is called to live on mission. And so I want to show, show it to you from a few different passages. Um, but this, this is really a part, I think this is kind of a, the key to understanding the Christian identity. I believe that Christians are called to mission. Let's look at John 20, 21. We'll put it up on the screen. This is Jesus speaking and he said, peace be with you as the father has sent me, I'm sending you. So Jesus is talking to followers and he's saying, this is who you are now. As I've been sent, in the same way I'm sending you. That's why we do the same benediction almost every week. We, we, we say, you're not dismissed. You're sent. Go and be the church. Because you have this new identity of being in Christ and you are co-opted into his, his mission in the world. So you are sent. You are deployed. That's a part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. When he gave the great commission in Matthew 28, he puts it like this. In verse 19, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them everything that I've commanded, and I'm with you to the very ends of the age. 
So again, this great co-mission where he's saying, this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means. This is what it looks like to follow me. You are sent, you are going, and you are going in my name with my authority and with my presence by my spirit. First Peter 2, 9, another passage where it spells this out for us. It's, it's, talking to a, it's a letter to a church and it says, you, listen to this, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, God's special possession. So you are the church. You are this group of, of people that's called this royal priesthood or this kingdom of priests. It's this idea that God started way back in, in the book of Exodus where he said, I'm going to make this nation, this kingdom of priests. It's not going to be that there's a handful of special individuals doing this work, this professional ministry kind of thing. What I'm creating, what God is creating is an entire people where everyone is a mediator of the things of God. A, a, a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. So all of us, if you're a Christian, you're a people who have a mission. God is inviting you into his work in this world. And it is an incredible calling that he gives us. And it's a, it's a calling that needs support from the church. Look at verse three. So after they, the church in Antioch, had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The church is involved in this activity of individuals feeling this call to mission and they're blessing them and they're praying over them and they're sending them away with their support and, and encouragement. And I just want to remind you that mission work is not something to be done disconnected from the local body. It's something that's meant to be done in harmony. That whatever it is that God is calling you to, you feel supported by your local church. You feel supported by your church family. You feel that you've been prayed over and blessed and commissioned and sent out with that encouragement. So we need that sort of support. So here's my question then this morning. Have you embraced this calling? Have you embraced what God is inviting you into? I believe that this morning, the Holy Spirit again is speaking these words, set apart for me these individuals for the work in which I've called them. He's saying that to you. And I'm asking, have you embraced that? And it, it might look like this. It looks like your life now in every, in every way possible begins to reflect the things of God. And you begin to think through, how does my life help communicate the beauty of the gospel? So I'm going to go to work, but I'm not just going there to earn a paycheck. This is the environment that God has me to bless the world, to make his name known. So I'm going to go with intentionality. Um, so the, the idea of this calling, it's bigger than your work, but it includes it. So this morning, my wife, she, she's a nurse, and so she's heading off to the hospital. And we do this pretty regularly when she's working. We, we pray over her. We pray, okay, you're going there. This isn't just you doing a shift. This is you doing life on mission. And so we pray, God, would you please fill Ash with your spirit? Give her opportunities to proclaim the goodness of the gospel. Give her favor with coworkers. Let her work in a way that commends you to a watching world. And we pray over her. And you have a job, whatever that job is, have you thought through what it would look like to allow that job to be the place where you're doing life on mission? whether you're a teacher or a lab scientist or an engineer or a stay-at-home parent or whatever it is that you might be doing, would you please do it on mission? God calls us 
to mission. Lesson one, mission is a calling. Secondly, mission requires a team. It's not something to be done on your own in isolation. It's not something where you go, okay, I'm on mission. I'm going to go get after it. No, you actually need people around you to support and encourage you in the mission. You need people who are going to pray over you and keep you accountable and encourage you and assist you and do these different things along the way. So you need a team of people. And we find that team here in our story. It's all over in the New Testament where God has a habit of not just sending a person, but people. He sends groups of two or he sends a team. And we all need that sort of team. So let's look at it in verse four. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down. So Saul or Paul and his friend Barnabas are sent by the Holy Spirit, but they're together. And then in verse five, we find out it's not just the two of them. There's another individual as well. Verse five, John Mark was with them as their helper. So there's three different people who are doing life on mission. Now you need that kind of crew. You need some people around you supporting and assisting you. And one of the encouraging things that you can find here is there's a diversity within the group. So you don't have to be the most prominent person doing life on mission. You can be the encourager like Barnabas or the helper like John Mark, but you have a role to play and you need a team of people to fulfill what God is calling you to do. So who are those people? Who's your team? Who are the people that you're kind of drawing together and saying, hey, I want to do my life with gospel intentionality. I want to advance the kingdom, but I need support. I need other people who are like-minded surrounding me and helping me in this thing. Who are those people for you? Don't do it alone. Now, one other thing before we step on in our sermon, um, th this lesson can also be really humbling, right? Because sometimes you're Paul, but sometimes you're John Mark. If you're in a team, you're not always going to be the most important person. I, I remember um, my buddy, he, uh, he asked me to do his and his wife's wedding, and I was officiating it. And then he sent me a little thank you note, and he was just kind of encouraging me. He's like, Cor, I'm so grateful for our friendship. I'm so grateful for all these different things that we've done together. And he said to me, you're, you're like my Jonathan. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the story in the Bible of David and Jonathan. Um, Jonathan was the son of the king. He was the rightful heir to the throne. And his best friend was David. And David was a shepherd boy. And David was anointed to become the next king. And Jonathan supported him and befriended him and encouraged him. And then just kind of faded into the background. And I remember when I was reading that little note of encouragement. And I said, hey, Cor, I really appreciate you. You're, you're like my Jonathan. Here's what I said. Like, I'm like your Jonathan? You're like my Jonathan. Like, I want my name in lights. I, I want to be the, the key player in the story. But when you're in a team, sometimes you're, it's a humbling experience because you begin to realize maybe my role in this season is not to be the most important person. Maybe it's to be the, the person who's assisting. Maybe it's to be the helper. But God has a mission and I get to play a part in that. I'm going to be okay. I'm, I'm going to support and encourage and see that the gospel advances in the environment that God has placed me. All right, third lesson. Mission is a Holy Spirit project. Start to finish. It's a Holy Spirit project. You need the Spirit to be effective in mission. If you're going to say, okay, God, I'm ready. I want to do my life on mission with you. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dominates this story. 
He's the key figure in it. He is the one who's acting all throughout this story. So look, look with me at verse two. The Holy Spirit initiated the whole thing. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. And then the Holy Spirit led them. Verse four, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down. The Holy Spirit was guiding them and leading them and directing them. The Holy Spirit filled them. Look at verse nine. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, he's filled with the Spirit of God in order to engage in this controversy here, but he's being filled with the Spirit. So start to finish, the Holy Spirit is dominant in this story. If we're going to live our lives on mission, we need to be recognizing how dependent we really are on the work of God in our lives and specifically on the Holy Spirit filling us and leading us and guiding us and directing us in every activity. The Holy Spirit was granting power for this mission. It was, he was granting discernment. So th they have this ability as they're stepping into this kind of unique situation with this sorcerer, they're able to discern something's not right here. Verse six, uh, it says, there they, there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So, so the name of the guy is um, the son of the word that means salvation. It's the son of salvation, Bar-Jesus. And, and the Holy Spirit grants discernment so that Paul is able to look at this guy being filled with the Spirit and he goes, I know that your name is this, but here's who you really are. I know that your name is son of salvation, but in truthfulness, you're actually the son of the devil. Now that's a work of the spirit, okay? So please do not go away from church this morning and start calling people the son of the devil unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit and totally confident that that's what God is saying in that moment. But he's filled with the spirit, therefore he's able to discern this reality that's going on. And then he's granted power to confront this guy, Elimus. Look at verse 11. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. So the Holy Spirit is filling him and then is empowering him to proclaim what's about to happen. He goes, he goes blind there. So here's my question then for us. If mission is a Holy Spirit project, what are we doing to try to encourage the Spirit's work in our life? They were fasting and praying. They were fasting and praying, saying, we want more of this. They were being filled with the Spirit. So what are we doing to try to be filled with the Spirit so that we might engage with mission in a way that's pleasing to God? We need the Spirit in order to be effective. Do you know, do you know what mission is apart from the work of the Spirit? It's a fool's errand. If you're trying to do something in God's name, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to work. We need the Spirit of God to fulfill the mission that God has given to us. So let's ask for it. Lesson number four, mission requires proclamation. Mission requires that you would announce the good news of the gospel. That's at the very essence of what Christianity is. It's an announcement. It's, it's news. It's saying, here's what God has done. And so we have to verbally communicate this announcement. As Christians, we have a mission, and it's not just to kind of go and say, hey, I'm doing my life on mission. The task at hand is to announce and make known 
the salvation that God has made available through Jesus Christ. We proclaim Jesus crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins and for the hope of eternal life. They, in our story, they were preaching the word. They were announcing, heralding the word wherever they went. Look at verse five. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Verse six, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. One commentator puts it like this. They preached their way through the land. They announced their way through the land. They communicated the gospel every place that they went. They opened their mouths and they said, hey guys, here's the good news of what God has done. And they made that plain and they made that clear. But we then have to be a people who proclaim that good news. So another question is, are you comfortable doing that? Can you share the gospel? One of the ambitions that we have at our campus is that every person who's a member of our campus would be able to share the gospel in two minutes or less. So you're interacting with somebody and they say, hey, I know you're a Christian. What does that even mean? And you're able in the short span of time to just kind of tell them, here's the good news of the gospel. Here's what it is. So my question is, are, are you able to do that right now? If you were to walk away from church this morning and somebody called you up and said, hey, what is Christianity all about? I've got about three minutes. Can, can you just describe it to me? Would you be able to proclaim the gospel in that ordinary conversation? Now, if you say, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, know, I don't know what to say or what not to say. I don't know how to do that. I'm not comfortable with that. I, that's just not in me. We want to help you. Uh, David Morelli is a pastoral resident with us now. We've been talking about some different things that we could do. One of the ideas that we have is creating a master class on the basics of sharing your faith. And uh, David worked with crew while he was at school and then for two years in Paris. Crew is a, a parachurch ministry where they go onto campuses and they share the gospel with, with university students. And they just have short little conversations and ask questions and do follow up. And so David has been doing that for a number of years and now he's with us. And we said, well, why not take that training and that experience that you've had and turn it into something that we can just give to all of our people so that all of us could walk out and say, hey, I could share the gospel in, in 90 seconds. I'm ready. I'm looking for people now. I'm, I'm eager. I want to proclaim the good news of the gospel. I'm on mission. I'm going to announce what God has done. And somebody might come to saving faith in Christ because I have the courage and the wherewithal to open my mouth and tell them. We want to be that kind of church, making known the good news of the gospel. The mission requires proclamation. Here's the fifth lesson. Mission requires adaptability. If you're going to do life on mission, you have to be willing to flex. You have to be adaptable. You have to be able to go into different situations with different kinds of people thinking strategically about what could I do that would make the gospel most plausible to them? What could I do to try to make the, the gospel as appealing as it possibly could be to, to whoever it is that I'm going to interact with? If you look at the story, Paul and Barnabas interact with lots of different kinds of people. They're in Jewish synagogues dealing with God-fearers and, and Jews, and they're communicating to them, but then they end up in front of a, a sorcerer, a wizard, if you will, and, and then a proconsul. They, they end up in all these different settings, and, and what you find them doing is they're matching the moment. So if they're in the Jewish synagogue, they're speaking in one way, and then if they're going to be with a wizard, they speak maybe another way, and then with an intelligent proconsul, they're going to speak 
in the way that's most effective for them. So we need to be the kind of people who are adaptable. This is what being a good missionary looks like. It's a willingness to kind of change yourself. I mean, obviously not fundamentally, but, but being willing to adapt so that whatever environment you land in, you're going to have the, the greatest likelihood of, of being heard. And so in verse six and seven, I'll just point this out to you. Uh, we, we see that snapshot of the differences there. They're, they met a, a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul was an intelligent man, and he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So in that short little two verses, we, we hear them interacting with these different kinds of people. If we're going to be effective on mission, we have to be able to pay attention to the people we're interacting with and then do the best that we can to try to meet them where they're at and speak in their language. So uh, last week, someone was noticing my, my backpack and they said, man, I really like that. Is that a messenger bag? And it's a, it's a backpack that I bring my computer and my books and stuff with, but it's a backpack. But then it's a messenger bag for, and this is what I said, for those fancy meetings, right? For those meetings where I need to carry in my briefcase and look like I know what I'm doing. And I've been in both. And that backpack has went to both places. There are times where, um, you know, like when I was uh, interacting with the owner of one of the facilities that we met with, he's a business owner, entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneur, lots of money, uh, lots of connections. And, he, and, and I told him, hey, we'd like to talk about renting your facility. So he invites me to this meeting and I walk in and he's got his fedora cap and he puts it on the table and the lights are all dim and he's got his suit on and his scarf on and his, you know, overcoat thingy. And we sit down, he just kind of folds his legs and we just start talking. And I'm, I got my briefcase with that day, right? Like I, I converted this thing into a briefcase and I walk in there and we talk, but that's, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to suggest. There, there have, we have to be willing to make those adjustments so that we could be heard. And if we're going to be on mission, then we need to be an adaptable people looking for those connections that we can make with the people that we're talking to. So let's be an adaptable people. Lesson number six, mission is often met by opposition. In our story, we, we find this controversy. We find this uh, conflict erupt between Paul and Barnabas and Elimus, the sorcerer, and one of the things that we note is that when you are doing your life on mission, oftentimes you're going to come into conflict. I mean, we expect it because if they crucified our Lord and we're following him, what should we expect? If he was doing his life and he was blameless, he was perfect at everything that he was doing and they executed him, then followers of him, we ought to be more than ready to suffer for his name, to expect opposition. Let's look at verse 8. But Elimus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So they're doing, they're, they're commissioned by the Holy Spirit. They're sent, they're filled, they're, they're being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. And they are now interacting with the proconsul, but there is a sorcerer who is opposing them. And, and they confront him. Verse 10, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. So there is opposition here in our story. And it's, he's called a false prophet and an enemy of the things of God. And so my question for us is, what are, who are the false prophets today? 
What, what does opposition look like today? I've been thinking about that this week. Who are the false prophets today? And I've, I've been saying this for a long, long time, but I think that most Christians don't even have categories for false teaching. We don't have that discernment. We don't even recognize that it didn't just vanish. It wasn't like a, you know, it was going on in the first century and now we got it all sorted out and everything's good. No more false prophets, no more false teaching. No, it's alive and well. So what does it look like today? Who would be the equivalent to Elimus the sorcerer? Now, honestly, as I reflected on it this week, I think it's subtle, right? Because you guys would be like, core. If I met an evil wizard this week, I think I'd know, right? Like if that were the case, it'd be easy. But now it feels subtle. It feels like false teaching is not as, you know, the enemy doesn't operate in kind of those grand schemes, like, like just very obvious things, but it, but it is alive and well. And so false teaching, it's subtle. So what does it look like? I think it looks like ideas that are false and teachings that are perverted, like the language here in our text, perverting the ways of the Lord. There's something kind of right about it, but it's distilled, it's, it's tampered with, it's perverted. Um, but I think false teaching is a reality that we have to wrestle with and we have to be ready for it, realizing that if we're going to do life on mission, there will be opposition. Um, all right, lesson number seven, finally. Mission majors on saving faith. Verse 12, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. At the end of the day, here's what mission is all about. It's all about the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's all about what Christ has done for us. So though there was this interaction with a, with a sorcerer and he was blinded and all these other things happened, at the end of the day, the proconsul looks at Paul and, and Barnabas and having heard what they have proclaimed and having seen the power of the Holy Spirit, he comes to the conclusion that he wants to believe in Jesus Christ for he's amazed about the teaching about the Lord. It's about Christ. He is changed in that moment forever because he has heard the good news of the gospel and seen the power of the gospel at work. So if we're going to be on mission, here's what it's all about. Bottom line, it's about Christ. It's about Jesus. It's about what he has done for us. And so when we're on mission, we're all about him. We're his ambassadors. We're his representatives. We're his champions. We're going into the world and we're saying, we know the Savior. Let us introduce him to you. Let us speak his name so that you, you too might come to saving faith. Let's be a people on mission. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking right now that by your spirit, you would do an incredible work. Your spirit is blowing through the wedding garden right now, and I'm just mindful of the fact that you are blowing through the hearts and lives of my friends and family that are gathered here in the garden and inside and online. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would call people today, that you would speak over them their name, that you would set them apart for the work to which you've called them, that you would give them a new sense of their identity and purpose so that they might engage the world in a way that's pleasing to you. 
co-opted into your mission, making known the work of your son. God, I pray that we as a church family, we could be excellent at doing this. That we would gather week by week, but we would scatter and we would make known the beauty of the gospel in every nook and cranny of the society that you send us. We're grateful, God, for our jobs and the places that we get to go. We're grateful, God, for our neighbors and the relationships that we have. Lord, would you use all of that to advance your kingdom in our day? We pray this, please, in your name. Amen.